Hello, and welcome to the Live Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Paola Atlason, holistic health consultant and healthy lifestyle designer. During the podcast, I will be in conversation with renowned women in service to their community, sharing personal stories and the self-care rituals that keep us grounded. Let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Journal podcast. I'm Paula Atlas, on your host, and today I'm here with Dr. Jill Blakeway, founder of the Unova Center. Um, she is an acupuncturist and an energy healer, and she just wrote this beautiful book called Energy Medicine. It's coming out April 2nd. Um, I was lucky enough to read her book before it came out, and I read it cover to cover in I, I think it was at the speed of light. So I, I'm extremely honored to have Dr. Blakeway here with us today, and I would love for her to introduce herself and tell us all about her story. Well, hello. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast and for reading my book ahead of time. <laughs> I'm so grateful, and I'm really glad you liked it. This is my third book. As you know, my first book was called Making Babies, and it was about how to get pregnant. And my sex book, was, uh, my, my second book, my sex book, it was my sex <laughs> book. My um, second book um, is called Sex Again, and is about libido and low libido. And this was a bit of a departure for me, this book. HarperCollins gave me a lovely task. Um, I am an acupuncturist and an energy worker. Acupuncture is actually energy work, and people don't really realize that. And we're really the only licensed energy workers in the country. And I, I started off really wanting to explain me to me. I, I noticed that, or I knew that patients thrived under our care. And I wanted to know how they heal. And I think any thoughtful practitioner starts to think, how much is placebo? Who does the healing? Is the patient healing themselves in response to prompts, which I think is true? Are we prompting their self-healing mechanisms? So HarperCollins said, why don't you go off around the world and talk to scientists and healers and write a book that combines both the science and the mystery of how people heal in response to prompts? So I wrote Energy Medicine, The Science <laughs> and Mystery of Healing. And as you know, it's part memoir, part travelogue. Um, there's a lot of science, and we tried to make that very digestible for people. And there's a certain amount of mystery that lies just outside of our reach. I met mm -hmm. some extraordinary healers, and I tried to explain them. I think, I mean, you, you did such a beautiful work. Uh, job with writing this in writing this book because as we were speaking before I started recording um, as we were speaking about the whole mer everything is merging now finally the spirituality the quantum physics the science and you said it it came at the perfect time this book uh, everybody that I'm in conversation with has been trying to almost do what you just did and you do it in you did it in such a beautiful way. There's I feel like there's a warmth to the book when you read it, and I feel like when people hear your voice now, it's very palpable in how the book is written. It's it's written from a very personal point of view, and um, for me it was as if the book you know how they say the book fell off the shelf. This book landed on my doorstep, and the information that you're um, 
sharing is invaluable because you're really doing a great job of blending everything together. Um, I know in the book you mentioned when you were growing up, you feel that because of how you grew up, that opened you up to have more uh, reception to energy and be more connected, even before you knew what you were doing. Yes, I did. And I think if you write memoir, you have to be honest. And you, you write in your own voice. Mm -hmm. And it's warm because I'm a practitioner and I care about patients. And I think most people who go into medicine, whether it be conventional or, or alternative medicine, are people who want to help people. Yes. And so I've spent my life listening to people's stories. I love listening to people's stories and I love telling people's stories and so for me this was just a very interesting personal and professional journey and you're right I was honest about my childhood in this book my mum was uh, mentally ill and um, could be very frightening mm -hmm. she could also be very loving and I hope that I did her justice I hope that I didn't um, uh, denigrate her you know I hope it was a sympathetic account because as a grown-up I've realized that she did the best she could mm -hmm. and that she was really struggling with just the ordinary burdens of motherhood along with not really being able to hold on to her mind um, particularly well and I have great sympathy for her mm -hmm. looking back and I hope that came across but what I said in the book was that um, uh, I I think that people who've had somewhat frightening or traumatic childhoods start to nurture a sense of premonition. And they do that quite naturally, or at least I did, because reading my mom was important to my safety. Um, and so I would be reading even the slightest, you know, twitch in her jaw or flash in her eye and trying to manage her and walking on eggshells from being very small. So um, I, I was trying to work out how healers become healers. Mm -hmm. I actually believe we can all heal each other and that's one of the messages of the book, as you know. But I, I wondered why I'd become me. And I thought it was honest, or it was important to be honest and to tell that story. Um, I, I had some reservations about it, to be honest. <laughs> um, but if you're going to write memoir, you should be honest. And I think this is an honest book. I, I, I think you'll agree. I, I explain my deficiencies and my doubts. And, uh, you know, I wanted to write an honest book about energy healing. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to write a sort of advert for energy healing. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to... Um, uh, tell the truth about my experience and what I saw work and what didn't and I think that comes from my childhood yeah I mean it's 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 so palpable that it's coming from a, an honest place and I think that's what make it might makes it so accessible because I feel when you're becoming curious and researching and maybe considering going into energy work which is such a broad term um, there's always a am I good enough? Can I do this? But like you're saying, it's something that energy is accessible to all, it's in the universe. And even for you, in the beginning, you explained how you did not really understand what was happening, you doubted yourself, is it me, like you're saying. So we go through the journey with you and you did do your mother justice and it, you did say the story in a very beautiful way, in a very compassionate way. Um, one of the highlights for me was uh, the moment that you felt the light or you felt the energy in a way that you assumed how she felt it at the end of her life and she, she described uh, an incident to you and you were able to almost relate to her at an energetic level later in life in a more uplifting way. 
Well, yes. I, um, in the book, I tell the story that I was working in a hospice in California. And so I was um, uh, taking care of people as they died at the same time as my mother was dying of cancer. And I learned an enormous amount about that transition. And I talk about that in the book. And I talk, I tell the story of some of my patients at the hospice. I really learned a lot about the energetics of um, living mm -hmm. from being with the dying. I watched them energetically leave. And I became very convinced that um, our energy doesn't die. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that really all of the ancient traditions of medicine have been struggling with the same issue, which is the relationship between matter and energy. And that really they weren't that different from physicists. They were just on a different track. And as you know, I start to bring that together. Yes. And we talk about Einstein and Newton and Hertz and yeah. Faraday. <laughs> and I try to tell some history of the development of, uh, of scientific understanding of electromagnetic energy. Um, uh, but I learned a lot of that in the hospice. And then you're quite right. I took that knowledge and went home. Um, to take care of my mother at the end, and I was with her when she passed, which is obviously much more difficult than um, uh, being in hospice with people you don't necessarily know as well. And in the book, I do tell the story that many years earlier, my mother had attempted suicide and had a near-death experience, mm -hmm. and it was very profound, and it was before the internet, and it was before she knew that other people had this experience, mm -hmm. and yet she described um, almost perfectly the, the same near-death experience that my patients were describing to me in hospital. Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, these days it may be possible to, um, you know, think you're having that because you've read a lot about it. But back in the day when my mother had a near-death experience, she, she had no idea that it was even a thing. Mm -hmm. But my patients in hospice were telling me the same thing. And so in the book I explore what is that. Mm -hmm. Is it the brain? shutting down and protecting you. Um, there is a theory that we produce DMT at the time of our death, which is the same um, uh, chemical that's in ayahuasca. And if you're a spiritual person, you would say we do that to connect to spirit. And if you weren't, you would say that we do that, um, uh, you know, to hallucinate in a way that makes death um, easier, I think. And I, I didn't come down either way in the book <laughs> because I tried to be scientific about yes. this and I tried to explain the things that were unknowable. But I did think it was interesting and we do explore near-death experiences through the lens of my mother's near-death mm -hmm. experience. So beautiful. It's such a robust text because you do touch on the scientific quite a bit. But to for me, it was in a in a very logical way, not trying to overload it with the nitty gritty of the terminology, but really relating it to the essence of the book, which is energy medicine. Um, there's uh, there's another thing that um, stuck out for me. You speak uh, repeatedly about getting into a rhythm or getting into resonance, now, not only within ourselves, but with other people. Can you expand a little bit? on that for our listeners so they understand how we all really connect? Well, resonance in physics is a term that means when, when things go at the same frequency. And the example that's always used is the op opera singer who hits a high note and breaks a glass. That's because she's gone into resonance with, with, 
with the glass. Um, uh, but resonance doesn't have to be destructive. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I did while I was researching this book is I um, had myself tested. Uh, I started to look at research that showed that our hearts and our brains connect with other people. And it, it's, it fascinated me. At the University of Connecticut, for example, they put people in two separate MRIs, and when one thought healing thoughts about another, their brainwaves started to sync up, the frequency of their brainwaves. And I thought that was really very interesting, or their brain patterns, actually, in the MRIs. And there's also some other research out of the University of Arizona that showed that um, uh, an interviewer um, interviewing someone um, registered someone's heart waves in their brain waves. So I thought, well, that's interesting that we're reaching each other in, in a way that's completely silent and hidden. And I thought, well, it, it, it reminds me of when you think of someone and then they text you, which happens all the time. Mm -hmm. I sometimes haven't seen a patient for 10 years and I think about them. And sure enough, they're on my schedule for the following week. They've clearly thought about me too. So I wondered what I was doing with patients in the clinic. So I had someone put an EEG and an EKG on me, an EEG of my brain and an EKG of my heart to measure the frequency while I did my thing. And what I found out was that my heart and brain go into resonance with each other. They start to go at the same frequency. And to do that, I breathe at a very steady and slightly slow rate and I empty my mind. And then, interestingly, the patient's heart goes into resonance with mine. Not through anything particularly woo, actually, mm -hmm. through, a, through something called mirror neurons. The patient starts to feel my calm and they start to calm and their heart goes into resonance with mine. And I thought that was actually very poetic <laughs> in some ways, that we're making this kind of connection. And I believe that that kind of connection is where the magic happens. I think information gets transferred from one person to another at that point. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I could reverse engineer it. I had kind of taught myself and I'd done it out of need. And I tell the story in the book. I had a patient who I adored who was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And he didn't want to um, have the Western medical treatment, which renders uh, men impotent. And I am a huge believer in collaborative care. I'm not someone who thinks that you should just have energy medicine, you know. But um, with the permission of his doctors, it, it, prostate cancer is relatively slow growing, um, we took three months to see if we could heal him. And I don't take credit for him becoming cancer free, which he did, because he did a lot of work himself. Um, a, a lot. He changed very much in his life. But I started to want to help him desperately and that's when the energy started to really feel like it was coming through me and transferring it to him. So, so I kind of wanting to help people as much as I could, um, caring about my patients, had sort of learned to adapt my um, uh, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system to create maximum heart rate variability so that I could be, I, I could access their energy field. Mm -hmm. And um, I reversed engineered it. I asked lots of scientists questions. I looked at lots of research. And in the book, as you know, I teach people how to do it. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, we could all do this. I had a ton of experience because I was sitting here at, at that point I was treating 150 patients a week oh which my is goodness hard to imagine now because I'm older <laughs> and it would make me tired but I was young and very fit um, <laughs> um, but I, I realized I you know that I'm not special 
uh, at all and that um, uh, we can all do this and so in the book I give lessons that build on themselves mm -hmm. and if you do them you'll start to feel this energy flow through you too mm -hmm. and you can use it I wouldn't advise anyone to use it as a replacement for conventional medicine at all but you can use it to help friends and family and as an adjunctive treatment and um, I think you'll be surprised <laughs> how much it helps Yes, it, it, it does. Uh, first, I want to say you are special. <laughs> you, uh, the way we've met before, and I, I mentioned that to you, I was probably one of the 150 people you saw that week, and we only met once. But it, I love, you, you have this very nurturing, warm, and caring um, aura about you. Your energy is very welcoming. And I remember I came to you, because I had had a series of miscarriages. I was 33, 32, 33. And um, my conventional doctors had said, oh, if it happens one more time, I think I had three in a row at that point. If it happens one more time, I'll send you to a specialist. And I said, I'm not doing this one more time. I need to understand what's happening right now. So I, you know, put that on the side. I said, now I have to, I have to find somebody that can explain what's going on to me at, in a different level. And somehow, I don't remember in detail, I came upon your book, The, the Making Babies. I devoured the books. And, and the book helped me understand that there were things I could do, maybe some things that were off in my chemistry. or um, So I followed the book to IT, and then I, I said, I need to go meet this woman. I need to have her put her hands on me. I had never done acupuncture. I had never heard about energy healing medicine none of none of the above and I met you once and I believe you did one uh, treatment and I felt this is it this is what we're going to do and when I was conceiving in the process of trying to conceive my daughter I felt it happened right away then I, I was under the care of another one of your practitioners who was wonderful um, and before, during, and after the pregnancy, I, I do feel that that was what carried me, what helped me carry. I was under treatment with my doctor. But to go back to your point of, it takes, for me, it you're absolutely right. It, it takes a willingness from the person you're treating and an openness and an acceptance because a lot of the work, like you said, is done by that person. It's almost like you're a conduit or you're a channel for the energy which takes the that's what takes the practice uh, it, from what from reading your book i feel and you can correct me if i'm wrong it, it seems that the practice was in letting go and just accepting that you could do that because I, I i read how you resisted it sometimes or you weren't you you know the infamous imposter syndrome am i doing that can i do that but apart from the willingness from the person you're touching or treating for the person practicing it is just open up and and go for it and and believe that you can do it yes and one of the things i love about your story is that you saw a team member here and got really awesome care which rather proves my point that in in many ways i'm not special except i i lead a team of phenomenal yes. acupuncturists and many of whom have been with me for over a decade and we care desperately about what we do and um, thank you for saying that you felt warmth 
and cared for because I actually do believe that in order for people to heal themselves in response to prompts, whether it's acupuncture or hands-on healing, or they need to feel safe. They don't necessarily need to believe. I always say an open skeptic is, you know, my favorite patient. <laughs> but they do need to feel safe. People need to feel safe. And I think safety is genuine. That you can't fake safety. Uh, at all mm -hmm. and so at the Innova Center we ha we hold all our patients in esteem and you can tell us anything we will not be shocked we've heard everything we know you're on your journey we know that you're just another human being like us and that you're doing the best you can and sometimes it looks a little messy and sometimes it doesn't and we're the same yeah and so we come from that standpoint that we hold you in sacred space and we do it genuinely um, we don't talk about our patients behind their backs. We keep all their information confidential. Um, we like to be that safe person mm -hmm. that you know that you are, you could say anything to, you could cry and I will hand you a tissue and I will hug you and you will be okay. And we will send you back out there <laughs> feeling, feeling like you can face your life. Um, and I think that that sense of safety is what allows you to mirror our calm. So we have to be calm <laughs> and you have to feel safe. And when we do that, you, you start to mirror our calm. And at that point, um, I think the information gets transferred. And you're right, from our point of view as um, acupuncturists and energy workers, uh, we do need to let go, and it's complicated. It's, it may be the most complicated thing I teach. I, I teach acupuncture students, and acupuncture is very heady in many ways. Diagnosis, you know, it takes five years to do a full-time doctorate in Chinese medicine these days, four years to do the master's. It's a, it's a complicated course, and, it, uh, uh, and so acupuncturists tend to be nerdy, heady people. <laughs> but when we actually have put the needles in, and we're doing the sort of energetic exchange, we have to let go and we have to let go of our egos that's the important thing we can't start to try and influence the outcome and that's what I said in the book that at times where I was like please let this patient recover uh, and I started to make it about me and my wish for them the energy would get less strong mm -hmm. and if I distracted my mind and allowed myself to be a conduit exactly what you described then the energy would get stronger. And this is palpable energy. The, the, the patient can feel it, mm -hmm. as can I. So we know when it's getting less strong. And the patient will say something like, what did you do there? And I think, <laughs> oh, I know exactly what I did. And I'll get back on track. And it's because I've started to have a wish and I've started to direct it. Mm -hmm. Which comes, of course, from a place of want. Yes. which I talk about in the book. Mm -hmm. I talk about Neil Donald Walsh, who mentored me during a difficult point in my life. And um, he always says that you should be grateful in advance because if you're wanting something, you're not aligning your energy with it. You're actually aligning your energy with the want. Yeah, it means you don't have it. Yes. As opposed to being yes. grateful, being in a space yes. of gratitude of, I already have it, I'm just maybe, you know. Yes working yes. with it. I'm vibrating at the frequency I intend to yes. go at. It's yeah. a, you know, that I love the, the few emotionally it's your future based as opposed to past based yes. in past experience. Um, I love that you do have some really beautiful and simple exercises in the book for anybody that wants to tap into their own energy and experience the energy field. And I, I did one, um, one of them where you're, 
you put your you place your hands in front of you and you feel the energy and you do feel it and I, I I've spoken to other people and you feel energy in different ways some people may experience some heat some people may experience some density um, it's just there it's flowing through you but for for those who may be skeptical about the whole energy thing could you please describe and I, I saw you speaking of it recently what bad or negative energy is it's not that it exists you explained it as some as, as it being stuck energy but that there's not not really bad energy per se yes well the first thing to say is that fields exist and the human energy field does exist and is measurable and doctors actually measure aspects of it they just don't measure the way it relates to each other so they measure with an EKG the field around the heart and with an EEG the field around the brain um, they're starting to measure the fields around other organs too um, so it's not a completely abstract um, mm -hmm. concept at all and yes I often get asked about bad energy and um, it's a very fear-based question and as you know uh, and I talk about this in the book energetically love expands and fear contracts um, and we see that all the time in our lives and in our political situation and, and, and in the world um, so I don't believe there's any such thing as bad energy at all but in Chinese medicine what we say is that energy can get stuck mm -hmm. uh, and stagnation of qi is a diagnosis in Chinese medicine often leading to pain or poor transitions so people with PMS often have um, stagnation of liver qi is what we call it their liver does not function smoothly it's kind of sludgy and slow and it, this again is not a woo concept. Mm -hmm. Your liver is responsible for the uptake of estrogen, and <clears throat> people who are estrogen dominant um, often, uh, in relation to progesterone, often get PMS. So the Chinese and Western medicine came to the same place, but we would call it um, energy stagnation, qi stagnation. And I do think there's an emotional element to that. I think that if we have an experience that we don't like or an emotion that we don't like we sometimes put it somewhere mm -hmm. in our body and in the book I tell stories of I have patients who get on the table and I put one needle in their back and they burst into tears and they say I don't, I don't know why I'm crying Jill and I, I think we store memories at a cellular level and I've just hit on something mm -hmm. that is a traumatic memory that just bubbles to the surface in a really, uh, hopefully a controlled way, and I hand out tissues and stroke people's <laughs> heads, and we get through it sort of thing. And, and in the book, I talk about my own stuck energy, which is in my solar plexus, which is the area I used to protect from my mother when she was violent. Um, and um, I, I have a sort of knot there, or I have had historically. And interestingly enough, all my medical complaints have been in that area. Mm -hmm. I've had gallbladder polyps and a hiatal hernia. They're all there in my upper abdomen, in my solar plexus. Um, and I was taught by a wonderful teacher called Kieran Trace, who's in the book, um, to remember a time when I felt safe and warm and loved and take that energy and slowly let it dissolve the tightness mm -hmm. in my solar plexus and I thought that was so profound and one of the things that she taught me that I, I give her full credit for in the book is that you can't move stuck energy with force you have to move it with love yes and um, that influenced me hugely as an acupuncturist too 
when I really took that on board. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. Yeah. Love is the expansion. And I feel with this book, you're doing so much. That I, I, again, I highly recommend anybody that's listening or anybody that's curious about energy and the, the scientific side of it or the spiritual side of it. You did such a beautiful um, job in combining it that this could be a life-changing book in many ways. For me, it was all the answers I was looking for. Well, it changed my life to write it, actually. That journey I went on um, changed the way I saw the world, and I think you see that in the book, yes. don't you? And interestingly, when I got to the end of the book, I asked everybody that I'd met, scientists, healers, and as you know, I went to Japan and saw some extraordinary healers for this book. I asked them, what is the energy that heals us? And the most scientific person that I interviewed, who was doing really granular science in the lab, was a man called Dr. William Bankston, who is at City University here in New York. And I tell Dr. Bankston's story in the book, and I devote a whole chapter to it, because it's fascinating. And I think he he conducted some research that I think is very important, because it's replicable. Mm -hmm. And good science should be replicable. There's not a great deal of point in studying a special person somewhere that nobody has access to. (laughs) We should, you know, it it should be replicable. It's why I taught people how to do this in my book. It's only important if if it spreads kind of thing and if it informs how we are in the world. And so Bill did this amazing research where they um, took mice that are specially bred to have cancer and those mice always die on day 27. It's kind of sad. Um, but it's how they test pharmaceuticals for, for cancer research. And he did, uh, he taught even his most skeptical students to do an energy medicine technique that over and over and over again mm cured the mice of cancer. And what's more, when they re-injected the mice with breast cancer, it was mammary cancer, they couldn't get it, they'd become immune. And I thought this research was so important. And then Bill went off to Brown, and they started to put the energy into cell medium and put human cancer tissue in the cell medium, and they recorded the genetic changes it made in the human cancer tissue, which was huge. So when I asked Bill, what is the energy that heals us? I thought he would give me an answer that I would have to translate for my readers that was all about particle and wave and, um, you know, complicated, very complicated, and sort of uh, bioelectrical mechanism in each cell and things that I do go into in the book. And instead, the most granular scientist that I interviewed for the book, the most lab-based scientist, said to me, it's love, Jill. And I thought that was amazing. When he said it, I was like, oh, this is the end of my book. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's love. It's love that makes us care for each other. It's love that makes us want to help each other. Uh, It's love that expands. It's love Mm -hmm. that grows. It's love that grows a field like this and wants to write a book that, that helps people and changes their perspective. Those are, you know, it's love. Mm -hmm. And, um, I came back to love at the end, having gone on a very scientific journey. Yes, and I, you saying that, I feel it in my heart, and that's why I really, truly believe this book came at a perfect time, especially we, we're living in a little turbulence right now in the world, um, but if, if everybody would really open up and tune in and we all start vibrating at the same frequency, <laughs> we could make a lot of change without even um, touching it's literally just changing how we are receiving information, how we're exchanging information. 
it, it, it shapes our tolerance for each other for what's happening and it makes people want to make a difference in a deeper more meaningful love-based um, way without even having to think about it it's just everybody just well in the book as you know I looked at um, the pair lab at Princeton where they studied the effect of human consciousness and collective human consciousness. It started as a project in the engineering department of Princeton, which kind of blows my mind. And uh, the head of engineering, the dean of engineering, the late Robert Jean, who I was lucky enough to meet um, before he died. He was elderly when I met him, and he has subsequently sadly died. But he had a grad student who wanted to see if she could design a machine that could be affected by the human mind. And I don't think Dr. Jean thought for a minute she'd be able to do it, to be honest, but it was a good thing to try. Yes, it was a nice project for a grad student, and so he agreed to supervise her research, and she did do it. And as you know, they went on to develop these random event generators, is what they're called, which Mm -hmm. measure that what they do is they spit out, um, uh, thanks to decaying atomic material, random numbers, and when we all focus and focus our intention in the same direction, they stop being as random in a way that is statistically significant. And they took those portable random event generators everywhere, including the Trump inauguration and yoga retreats <laughs> and all sorts of things. And one of the things that they have found is that love and compassion connects us very deeply. Yeah. But so does fear. And um, Robert Nelson, who now runs this project for something called the Global Consciousness Project, told me, I wish I could tell you this isn't true, Jill, but people connect through fear too. And so I think fear is a little infectious, mm-hmm. um, you know, that we catch it from each other energetically. And, and it contracts our world. We're seeing it happen. People mm-hmm. get scared and they shut down and they other other people and they stop seeing our essential oneness. Um, And so one of the messages of this book is that um, we need to be conscious of what we're putting out into the world because we are, in effect, in silent collaboration with each other and the engineers at Princeton designed a machine that could measure it. Yeah, so we're in trouble now. (laughs) You don't even have to say it. You can feel it and they're they're catching the the frequency. in closing, thank you so much, first of all, for sharing your story with us and the vulnerable bits, which in a lot of times it, it's really what makes us stronger, um, but it's, it's not the, the most fun to share. So thank you for doing it in, a, in such an honest and beautiful way for everybody to see and, and to know that we can relate to each other. Um, as a person that works with energy and heals other people, helps other people heal. What are some of the things you do yourself to rebalance or um, pull some of your energy back and keep you vibrant and beautiful as you are? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, and thank you for having me on your podcast Um, and for really understanding this book, which I really appreciate. I appreciate that you gave it a really close read, and that's what I want people to do, so thank you for that. So here's what I do. The breathing exercises turn out to be really important, and I talk about them um, in relation to the clinic, but I also use my breath to create what in biofeedback is known as maximum heart rate variability, which is when your heart is really flexible and helps you to your go between your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system in a way that helps you to handle stress and calm down 
Um, so we all have stress and we mm -hmm. all get tight. Um, but knowing how to self-soothe yourself so that you get back to normal really quickly and recover has been very life-changing for me. And I do that through my breath. So mm -hmm. that is my way of taking care of myself. I also, and I give this exercise at the end of the book, I also, when I treat a lot of patients, I, at the end of a treatment, wrap them in light and wrap myself in separate light. I think it's important to understand that we're all one, but we're also all individuals, mm -hmm. and that, you know, boundaries, um, uh, along with an open heart, are the way to go. Uh, and so I, I also practice that energetically, but I also am careful about my boundaries. and. In the book, I tell the journey to understanding that. Neil Donald Walsh taught me a lot about mm -hmm. the complex navigation between understanding that we're all made of the same thing and yet we're all individuated mm -hmm. is, um, uh, was a journey for me. Yes, beautiful. Thank you so much. Um, I will have all the information if anybody wants to come to the Unova Center. Uh, there's one here in the Flatiron area. There's, you just opened the center in Brooklyn. We did. We have two Unovas. There's one in Brooklyn, and it's a. I think you'd agree. It's a little tranquil haven in the Unova <laughs> Center. Yes. And we have a lovely community here. Our practitioners are awesome, as you know. The front desk are warm. I pick them for their good hearts and their kindness and their ability to juggle a lot of things. Um, and everybody is welcome here. We treat tiny babies, we treat senior citizens, we obviously do a lot of reproductive medicine, but it's by no means all we do. So come and see us. Yes, please. And buy the book. Comes out April 2nd. And I, I highly, I can't recommend it enough. I think I read it in three days. I ate this book. I have so many earmarks on it. Um, so thank you so much, you. Dr. Blakeway. And I wish you love and light in everything you continue to do right for humanity. You, my friend. <laughs> Don't nobody kill your Thank you so much for listening. Don't if you'd like to learn more, please visit my website, paolaatlason.live, and you can also find us on Instagram at paola.atlason. Sending you so much love, and thank you. <laughs>